Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, if you're a guest here with us today, welcome. So glad that you're here. And if you've been away and summer's just been kind of hectic for you and you're kind of getting back in the swing, welcome back. It's, it's great to, uh, to, to be together this morning and, and really to worship well in, in, this, in this place. I want to start off by celebrating a couple of things um, with you this morning. Uh, several weeks ago, we came before the church and we said, hey, we want to partner with four schools in our area as we really seek to be a church that wants to live for the city. There's four schools that we've identified that, that we're saying we want to be an increasing blessing to these schools. And one of those is Castellar, who we've, we've been a partner with for years. But then some new schools, Disney Elementary, which is close, Rockwell, and then Sandoz, just up the street. And so we said to all of you, hey, would you bring a backpack if you could, and, and we're going to donate those, and we're going to give those then to some kids that have financial needs that, that can't get a new backpack, and, um, and we'll see what God does with those, those kinds of tangible blessings that oftentimes turn into some, some pretty cool impacting ways. And so I want to show you this picture. You all, this is just some of them, but you all gave 135 backpacks for all these kids, and, and it was just incredible. I got to go on one of these deliveries, and just to see... You know, these teachers or administrators just light up and say, thank you. I want to read one note to you. Um, this is from one of the schools, Dear Brookside Church. Uh, thank you for all the backpacks for our students. I wish you could have seen their faces when we told them that it was theirs to keep. Uh, we, all, we, we, we really appreciate all of your generosity. And so, church, I just wanted to say, well done. Thank you for being the kind of church that we're not just trying to paint it on the wall, but we want to say we want to really live this out. What does it mean? For Brookside Church to be a blessing to the city. So thank you for being a part of that. I also want to show you this picture. This happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had a couple of our high school students say, hey, I want to be baptized. And so they gathered at a nearby lake in front of their friends and their family and anybody else that was on the lake that day. And they, these two just pro publicly proclaimed uh, their faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to share these things with you because church, you're a vital part of that. Every time we get to do something like that, whether it's for the city or something that's reaching the next generation, um, you are a, a significant, a vital part of that. And so, so thank you for, for all that you're doing. And then lastly, um, our care center, if you're newer to Brookside, we just built this care center just beyond the wall, the back walls here. And what that does is it provides clothing for kids that are in the foster care system. And we had really a milestone week here recently where we were able to serve child number 500. 500 kids have come through the care center now and have been served with dignity. And they know that there's a local church in this city that loves them and wants to roll out the red carpet for them and give them the best experience that they can have. And so, yeah, we thank God for what he's doing uh, in this place. And yeah, you can clap. That's a good time. Yep. It's awesome. Well, today is, um, as Emma said, today we're starting a new series, and uh, I'm really excited for this series. It's a four-part series. It's called Front and Center, and what we're doing in this series is what we're saying is in, in light of, and I know this is true for all of you, you've got a lot of important things in your life. You've got a lot of decisions to make. You've got a lot of opportunities. You've got a lot of schedules to balance and places to be and all of that, and so what we're doing right on the front end of the semester is we're saying, hey, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of everything and all my options, all my decisions and all my commitments, what should I keep front and center? What are the things that beyond a shadow of a doubt, these should rise right to the top, that these should take priority, that these should go first? And so I'm really excited to lean into this series and, and start off our fall uh, really well with each one of you. You know, I had a God moment um, 
several weeks ago, our family was on vacation, and my, my folks have this uh, uh, cabin over in eastern Iowa that we try to go to about two weeks uh, in the summer every year. And so we're there, and, and when we're there, we go to this little church on the weekend that we're there that's just, it's pretty close to the lake, just outside this small little town. And, and as I was sitting in the church, I thought of all of you, and I thought of what goes through your mind probably often on a Sunday morning. It was really good for me as a pastor, actually. And so I'm sitting there in this church, and, and we don't know anybody in this church. We don't have any responsibilities. As a matter of fact, if I have to use the restroom right in the middle of the guy's sermon, I can. I can just, I can get up and leave, right? It's no big deal. And so I, we're sitting there, and I'm just thinking to myself, why did we come? Why did we make the journey in? Why did we get everybody ready and take the car ride? And, and we actually left some really glassy ski water, which was tough, right? And I asked myself the question, why did we come? Why do you come? Why do you show up each and every week? And God, it was as though God just spoke this to me. It was so encouraging to me because beyond the good guest experience and beyond the coffee and beyond the good worship and beyond the teaching, beyond all of that, you know what I needed that day? I needed a touch from God. I needed God to recenter me. I needed God in a sense to breathe life into me and to encourage me and to remind me of who I am and what, what God has for me. And it was such a good reminder to me, and it really helped me as a pastor to, again, get into your shoes a little bit and to pray specifically for you. And Rob said this so well, each and every time that you come into this place, our prayer is that you get a touch from God. Our prayer is that you'd walk out of here and you'd say, you know what, I might have come in with this, but I left and God lifted my spirit. God touched my life this morning. He spoke to me and he led me. And so with that this morning, I would love for us even just to go to the Lord and just say, Lord... The cry of our heart today, as a church, as a group, is to say, Lord, would you touch our lives? Would you nudge us? Would you prompt us? Would you lead us? Would you encourage us? So yeah, would you pray with me now, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you that we can gather in this place and we can worship you. And Lord, we just want to say it again and make it so very clear, Lord, you are God, and we are not. Lord, you are the King. You are the one we adore and that we praise. And Lord, you are the one that as a group of people, we want to continue to say, God, we want to lift you high. We want to come underneath you. We want to know, Lord, what are the good plans that you have for us? And Lord, how can we bring you honor and you glory? And Lord, we thank you. God, you know every single person here. You might come and life's going really well today. Or you might come with some severe challenges in your life. Lord, we thank you humbly this morning. You are a good father, you know us by name, and you know every detail of our lives, and you care deeply for them. And so, Lord, we entrust you at this time, and we simply ask, Lord, would you touch my heart today? Would you touch the core of who I am? Would you teach me today? Would you lead me? So we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, our text, I'm really excited to take you through it. It's one of these texts that I'm like, wow, this is such a gem. I wish I would have taught this a long, long time ago because it's been so good to kind of sit in this this week. Our text this morning is John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. And I want to encourage you to turn to that right now. If you brought your Bible this morning, please turn there now. And, and let's do this together as a church, just out of reverence for God's word. Would you stand with me and, and we'll read our text for this morning. So yeah, stand up and we'll read it together. Or I'll read it to you, okay? Okay, here's the scene. It says this, John 3, verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples, they went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. 
Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and the people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument, though, developed between some some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the, the matter of ceremonial washing. So there's kind of a side issue going on here. They came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and he listens for him and he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and he speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven, he's above all. And he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Verse 33, whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son, and he's placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. Here's the question. Have you ever had somebody say something to you? They said a statement that when they said it, you knew that it was going to have a dramatic impact on your life. Have you ever had somebody say something to you, and as soon as the words came out of their mouth, you knew, and you maybe even thought, i got to go write that down because I'm going to go back to that because what they said is true, and that's actually going to change potentially even the trajectory of my life. Maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a spouse, but somebody in your life said something to you. Can you think of any of these times? And what they said took such deep root in you, you knew this is going to be pivotal for me. Maybe someone came alongside you in the midst of a struggle or in a time of unbelief for you, and they simply said to you, I believe in you. I'm for you. I believe in you. Ever had a coach say that to you or someone in your life? Or maybe it was strong words of maybe even correction. Somebody came into your life who you knew and and who you trust, and, and they looked right at you, and they said this. They said, if you don't stop the path that you're on, you're going to lose everything that matters to you. Everything. And in that moment, it just sunk deep into your heart, and you took their words to heart, and you said, you're right. And it changed the trajectory of your life. Or have you ever been ready to call it quits? You you were just at the end of your rope and you said, you know what, this chapter's over, this book is over, I'm done, I can't go on, I give up. And then you heard something maybe inspiring that propelled you forward, something like this. Success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. And you heard something like that and you thought, oh, I can cling to that. Or you opened up God's word and you realized that it says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The Lord says that to you. And it changed you. It prompted you. It nudged you. You kept going. One clear statement has the power to direct us. One clear statement has the power to impact us. Have you ever had that happen in your life? You know, the first day of school for my kids was this last week and Our daughter, our middle child, uh, she's in fifth grade. 
she was telling me about her teacher, and I had met this guy at the open house, and I really enjoyed being around this guy. He's incredibly, just really a fun guy. You could tell he loves teaching, and so she's telling me about the first day and about him and all this stuff, and, and so I, I said to her, because I have the flexibility, Monday's my day off, and so as our kids have gone through elementary school, particularly in the younger years, I've been able to, to, to volunteer, to go to the school. It's a blast. I get to go to the kindergarten classroom or the first or the second grade classroom. And, and so I said to her, as she's telling me about this teacher, I was kind of halfway kidding, but not so much. And I said to her, I said, well, Ashlyn, I said, in, instead of me pursuing being in Easton's classroom, he's in second grade, how about I help out in, in your classroom? And she responded with a very defining statement. Her facial expression actually led the way. She looked at me as though she was in sheer pain. And she said this to me. She said, no, Dad, that ship has sailed. <laughs> and see, for all of you youth, that's how you get a freeze automatically put on the deposits to your college fund. <laughs> so honest, right? So, so honest. But think about it for a second. Defining statements, what do they do? They direct our paths. You get a defining statement, particularly one from God's word, it can change the trajectory of your life. This morning in this text, John the Baptist, he's called John the Baptist because of what he was doing. He was baptizing people. This morning, John the Baptist is going to drop one of those statements to us. It's four simple words. And I don't believe it's just any old four words. It's four simple words that if you're in a place this morning where you'd say, I'm full of anxiety, I believe you'll be able to exchange your anxiety for a sense of peace maybe that you've never walked with before. Four simple words that I believe you'll be able to cling to this morning. And if you're frustrated, I believe you'll be able to say, I have now purpose. Four simple words that I believe you'd be able to hear these this morning if they penetrate deeply into your heart. If you're struggling with walking with confidence, I believe that you'll be able to grab a hold of these four simple words, apply them to your, to your heart and to your life, and I believe you'll be able to walk ahead stronger than you've ever been before. These are the kind of words, church, that we've got to say, Lord, would you let these four words penetrate every area of my life. And so let's work through this text together. We'll get to those four words. Look with me at verse 22. Let's walk through this together. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples, they went into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. And, and, and so think about the, the scene here. Jesus is baptizing. Now, I don't know who baptized you, whether it was your a pastor or a youth pastor or maybe the person that led you to, to, to know the Lord or maybe it was whatever, a father, mother. I don't know who baptized you, but imagine being baptized by Jesus. Who baptized you? Oh, you know, so-and-so. Who baptized you? Jesus. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? So Jesus is baptizing. But it says, verse 23, now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and the people were coming and they were being baptized. Now, so there's two pictures here. There's two scenes. On the one hand, we've got John the, the Baptist is baptizing. But on the other hand, we've also got now Jesus is on the scene and Jesus is baptizing. But there were some people in John's camp that they didn't like this. It bothered them. It frustrated them. And what I want to do before we get to their response is I want you to be reminded of the purpose that was so clear in the mind of John the Baptist. Flip back in your Bible to John chapter 1. I want you to see this because John addressed this so well. John chapter 1. Look with me at verse 19. 
It says, now this, is, this was John's testimony, so this was John's story when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, it says that they sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. John, who are you, right? And it says that he did not fail to confess, he didn't fail to speak, but it says he, can, he confessed very freely, and this is what he said. He said, I am not the Messiah. Does that lack clarity? No, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him again, though. They said, hey, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He said, nope, I'm not. Finally, verse 22, they said, then who are you? And they give us an answer to take back to those who, have sent, who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John, who are you? And it says, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. He said, I'm the voice. I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And then, the Lord. And then skip down now to verse 29. He keeps going further. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said this. He said, look, the Lamb of God, the one I've been waiting for, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. That he might be revealed, he's saying, to all of us, to you, to his crowd there. He's saying this, I'm just the one who's getting things ready. I'm just the one that's at the back of the aisle and I'm rolling out the red carpet for the guest of honor who's about to come. That was John's purpose. He's very clear. He's saying to these crowds, the reason why I've been saying to you, repent, turn from your sin and go to Jesus Christ. The Messiah is coming. The one that if you put faith in him, he will forgive all of your sins. John's saying, hey, I've been talking to the crowds and I've been saying to them, you need to repent, you need to believe, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because he's coming. And now he's come. And so John the Baptist, his purpose was so clear, but those who were sitting with him, they didn't like it. And when they saw that John's camp was getting a little bit smaller and Jesus's camp was growing it bothered them it disappointed them and they come to him I think probably very emotionally look at what they say back to chapter 3 look at verse 25 it says an argument then developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing and they came to John and they said to him rabbi that man now they know who Jesus is they don't even say his name though that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, here it is, the one, again, not even saying his name, the one you testified about, look what he's doing. He's baptizing. And everyone is going to him. In other words, John, why are you sleeping on the job? John, what's your problem? John, don't you understand that Jesus' group is growing and our group is not going? But surely John knew what was going on. Because John had just said with great joy, look, the Lamb of God, the one I've been waiting for. Not me, but the one who will take away the sins of the world. He has finally come. But they were jealous. They were threatened. And it wasn't as though John the Baptist didn't have people there to baptize. It says that he was baptizing in a place that had plenty of water. Why? Because he had a crowd there. He needed plenty of water. So he's successful. He's effective in his ministry. But his disciples, his followers... They're jealous. Have you ever been gripped by jealousy? Have you ever had that feeling that you've watched someone's gift mix become better than yours, that they kind of rise above you? How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel threatened? 
William Penn has a great quote. He said this. He said, the jealous are troublesome to others, but they are a torment to themselves. Have you ever noticed that when bitterness or when maybe jealousy takes over, you see someone else kind of eclipsing you and wherever you're at in life, You ever notice how sometimes that can be not only hard for you, but as you watch it happen, do you realize that if you carry that jealousy and you carry that bitterness, have you ever noticed how it can wreak havoc on your own soul? John is saying this so very clearly, though. He's saying, hey, you guys, you should not feel threatened because this is right. Look what he does in verse 27. John the Baptist, faithful follower of Christ, clear on his purpose. Now, you could think this. You could think, well, he's going to come down on him hard then, isn't he? Notice what he does. He so softly leads them. He comes beside them and he, he teaches them. Now, he, he could have said, you guys are right. Jesus is excelling and my camp is shrinking a bit. So let's figure this out. How can we boost the numbers, right? Uh, free fruit snacks for the kids? I don't know. I mean, he could have pumped it up, right? But no, he knows what's happening is actually very good. It's going to lead us again to this statement, though, that he makes. Verse 27, notice what happens. It says this, to this, to this argument, to this disappointment, he replied to his followers, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. In other words, my gift mix is only what God gave me. And I'm going to do the best I can with it, but I only received what God gave me. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, But I was sent ahead of him. In other words, you guys know my purpose. You guys know I'm not about building my own kingdom, but that I'm about building the kingdom of God. The world does not revolve around me, John was saying. He's saying, I'm just a pointer. I'm here so that others can know him. The best thing that I can lead people to is not to myself, John's saying, but I'm going to lead them straight to Jesus Christ. So guys, don't be jealous and don't be bitter. Verse 29. He gives them then this helpful illustration. Again, watch kind of the the teacher John the Baptist here. Lovingly lead them along. He gives them an illustration, one they could have related well to. He says, verse 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Now, we don't say bridegroom in our culture. So whenever you see bridegroom in this text, just say to yourself, groom. The bride belongs to the groom. The friend who attends the the groom waits and he listens for him and is full of joy. And when he hears the groom's voice, that joy is mine, he says, and it is now complete. Now, these guys, no doubt, they've been to a lot of weddings. That was their culture. But know this about a Jewish wedding. In a Jewish wedding, the, the friend of the groom had an incredibly important job. And it wasn't a job that just began on the day of the wedding. In their culture, and this is how we would call this person, we would say that's the best man, right? The friend of the groom, the best friend of the groom. In their culture, the best man had an important role. He was to make sure that the wedding went off without a hitch. But more than that, this best man was involved with with the bride well before the wedding began. In a sense, he was to protect her. He was to keep her away even from other guys. He probably handled the invitation list. He surely was the one that oversaw the feast that would come after the wedding. This person, the best man, was very, very important. But what John is saying is this. The greatest thing that the best man could hear is the voice of the groom. Because when the voice of the groom spoke and said, it's time, that was exactly what the best man had been preparing for. You know, last night I went to a, a, a wedding of a friend and... Our family did, and 
You know, imagine though, imagine if at the end of this wedding, if the pastor had said this with, you know, the wedding party up front and the big crowd out there. Imagine if the pastor had said at the end of the ceremony, now it is my privilege to present to you for the very first time. And instead of looking at the bride and the groom, imagine if the pastor turned to the best man and said, the best man. The whole crowd would be like, that doesn't make any sense. They're not the guest. Or imagine if the best man got in his car after the wedding and was like, man, I'm so glad I got this car full of gifts for me. This is sweet. I just grabbed all of them. And I'm so glad that at the, at the, uh, the ceremony tonight or at the banquet, everyone was doing these toasts to me. Wouldn't that be confusing? Wouldn't you go, that best man has his priorities completely wrong and needs to be let go. John the Baptist, though, he was clear. My role is not the spotlight. I am not the center of attention. He knew what his calling was. He knew that his greatest purpose was to give the bride to her groom. The point of John's life was to do what? It was to point people to Christ. It was to make him great. And he says this, when that happens, he says, my joy is complete. When I've been able to point people not towards me, but away from me and towards Jesus Christ, he's saying, that's my role. That's what makes it complete. That's what all my planning and that's what all my desires have led to. Now, notice what happens in verse 30. This is huge. John makes a statement. And this statement, everybody, I'm praying that this is the one that really grips our heart this fall. You know, last year we had what we called the theme verse, and we only called it a theme verse because it just, we kept talking about it. We just sensed, God wants us to talk about that verse again. You remember it? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. We, we brought it up on this platform so many times, and I was afraid you were getting sick of it, but it was the Bible, so we just said, we don't care. We're going to keep talking about it, right? It's good. But you remember Ephesians 3, 20? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask for or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. And we went back to that again and again and again. And I just wonder if these next words might become our rally cry this fall semester. Where we just say, Lord, might these words be front and center for us. Look with me at verse 30. It says, John the Baptist setting the stage, teaching now, lovingly leading. He says this, a front and center statement, four powerful words. He must become greater. And I must become less. It's crystal clear to John. He's saying that my role is to point everyone to Christ. Have you ever had this opportunity? Have you ever had the opportunity to lead someone to know Jesus Christ, to be used by God in that way? Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever been a part of that? There is nothing that brings more joy. Oftentimes when that happens to some of you, you'll let us know what happens because you can't contain it. You want to just talk about it because there's nothing greater. And John the Baptist, he knows that and what he's saying. And he's such an example for us. He's saying, my joy, my greatest fulfillment is to point everybody to the one who can forgive and give life and restore. What an example he is to us, right? Verse 30, such a powerful statement. You know, when you think about all the things that can be front and center in your life this fall, I think that John the Baptist, if he was standing before us today, he would say this. He would say, wow, don't worry so much about putting your comforts front and center. 
But just don't worry so much about putting maybe the, the, the things in your life that are your stuff or things that are going to fade or things that are going to spoil. I think he would say to us beyond a shadow of a doubt for sure, he would say, definitely don't put me front and center in your life. He said that to his followers. He would say this, what do you need to put front and center? He'd say, oh, put Jesus Christ. Say to Jesus Christ, I need more of you. You must become greater. Notice his language. If you look at the Greek words here, it is so incredibly strong. Notice it says, he must. It's not like he's saying, I'm suggesting that Jesus might be. No. He's saying, he must. I'm compelled. This has got to happen. It is beyond wise and practical and good. It must take place place, he must become greater. I must become less. He's not threatened by Jesus, but instead he's saying, hey, Jesus is about to get really big in this story, and I'm going to step out of the way, and that's a good thing. And my existence is to point other people to him. What an example to us. Brookside Church, imagine this. Imagine if we owned this statement Imagine if we went through our day and we said, Jesus, would you become greater in this moment? Jesus, as I go into this meeting, would you become greater? Would I become less? Imagine, church, if we said this, Jesus, would you become greater at home? When I turn that knob to go into my home, Jesus, would you become greater? Jesus, would you become greater in my singleness? Jesus, would you become greater in our marriage? Jesus, would you become greater in my leadership? Jesus, would you become greater in my influence? Jesus, would you become greater in my conversation with this person that I deeply love who doesn't know you, but they're mortal just like me. And so, Jesus, I need you to become greater because you're the only thing that's eternal. And so, God, please, would you become greater? Imagine if Jesus became greater right in the midst of your suffering, the place where we often push Jesus out. Imagine if he became greater. And I just wonder if Jesus would love to become greater in those moments, and particularly in the challenging ones, if he might say to us, when you discover me in those moments, you might even look at those challenges and say, I don't want to relive them, but boy, am I sure glad that I got as much of Jesus as I did. Jesus, would you become greater? Now, I don't know how you're feeling right now. Maybe like I've had too much coffee, and I get that. But I think everything I just said is counterintuitive. I think everything I said is completely counterintuitive. But I think it's right. It's biblical. You know, we don't know how many days we're going to get. None of us have that guarantee. None of us know that. But the greatest thing that we can do is invite Jesus Christ in to every single area of our life and say, it is, it is beyond wise. Jesus, would you become greater? Would that become my rally cry? Would those four words, would they direct me when I go to parent, when I go to do business, when I go to do X, Y, and Z? Jesus, would you become greater? Jesus, would I be more in tune with your nudges? Jesus, would I sense your presence and your power more because I invited you in? I didn't just ignore you, but I invited you into it all. Jesus, I'm asking you, and he will deliver on that ask. Will you become greater? Notice how this passage ends. So we've seen John the Baptist. He makes it very clear. I'm here to point you to Christ. It's not about me. It's about him. But now what we're going to see is this. 
Now it's not John the Baptist that we're watching. It's the author, John, now that kind of comes in and he kind of gives us a lesson. So he talks to us about what John the Baptist did. But now John, the author, John, is going to teach us. And this might be the greatest application for you this morning. Verse 31. It says, he says, the one who comes from above is above all, and the one who is from the earth, he belongs to the earth. In other words, he's saying, you're mortal, and it's not from the Bible, but it's true. At a funeral, they say what? They say, from dust to dust. And then he says, as he speaks as one who is from the earth, speaking of the one whose days are numbered, and that would be all of us, right? We don't know what we're going to get. None of us do. And then he says this, the one who comes though from heaven is different. Now, he testifies to what he has seen and he had heard, has heard, and, but no one accepts his testimony. Because in that day, just like in our day, there were many people that were hearing about Jesus, but they were rejecting him. But whoever, it says, has accepted it, Jesus, has certified that God is truthful. Verse 34, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. It's as though the author, John, looks at this passage, looks at the desire of John the Baptist, even if you look at what's happened earlier in chapter 1, and if you look at what happens in chapter 4, sorry, what happens in chapters 2 and 4, kind of the bookends of chapter 3, you see what it's about, and this even makes even more sense. It's as though the author John is driving us to a decision, and he's saying this, is Jesus your God? Is Jesus the one who's on the throne of your life? Do you believe that Jesus is God and that there's only life after death through him? And if you do, do you realize, like if you're a follower of Christ, do you realize that the greatest thing that you can do, the greatest thing that I can do is to point other people towards him? You know, as I thought about the timing of this this text being taught, I thought what an appropriate time for us as a church I mean, we're heading into the fall. I love these times of year. I love January 1st. I love the first day of summer. I love this Sunday. Sunday, the fall kickoff Sunday. You know why? Because for all of us, it can be a time where we say, okay, I'm going to reset. Okay, I'm going to look at my life, and I'm going to say, I'm going to put this ahead of that now. Okay, God, you're nudging me in this way, and so I'm going to direct things differently because that is true. We can evaluate. We can decide. Have you ever had a defining moment where you said, from this moment on, this is how I'm going to live. I'm changing things. Have you ever had those moments? You know, this morning, I, I want us to close our time, and I, I want us to have the opportunity to, to say these words. You might think about the different areas of your life. But could you even say this morning, Jesus, would you become greater in my, and you fill in the blank. Where would you, where would you say that? Where would you say, Jesus, you need to become greater? Or maybe for you this morning, you would even say, hey, this is the first time for me. When I say, Jesus, would you become greater, what I'm saying is, hey, I've been sitting out here long enough. My friend's been talking to me long enough. I've had my questions answered. I don't have all the answers, but I do believe That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he died for me. He proved that he was God. He rose from the dead. And so, yes, that Jesus, would you become greater? And I believe that when you do that, you're beginning a relationship with the God who loves you. You can do that this morning. Would you say, if that's you, 
Jesus, would you become greater? And then for the rest of us this morning, I think this text is just an invitation for us to be able to say, Jesus, in this area, would you become greater? Jesus, I don't want to be in charge. Jesus, would you become greater? Even though that's counterintuitive and it seems like I should build my own empire and I should do this and I, I should kick everybody out around to make me great, blah, 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 blah. No. What if we said, no, Jesus, I humble myself and I ask that you would become greater. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to end a little bit differently. And I want to give you the opportunity, because I think this would be such sweet worship to Jesus Christ. And he's worthy of it. Would you agree with me? Nod your head if you agree. All right, 90%. It's not bad. All right, I'll take it. But let's do this. Let's fill this room with those statements. Jesus, would you become greater? And then you fill in the blank. And would you just take a moment? I want you to do this out loud. You don't have to move around. But just right there in your seat, would you boldly just say this? Let's fill this room with the noise of us saying, Jesus Christ, the desire of this church is that you would become greater, that we would become less because we know that when you become greater, our less is really good. That's where we want to be. And so would you take a moment now, I'll quiet down here, and just would you say those things to God? Would you invite him? Jesus, would you become greater? And just go through the areas of your life and invite him to be that for you. And then I'll close this up here in just a few moments. So, all right, ready, go. Let's pray together. Let's do it. Jesus, would you become greater? Jesus, it is so appropriate for us to utter your name in this place over and over and over again. And for us to say with the deepest desire of our heart, Lord, would you become, would you become greater? So Jesus, we invite you, would you become greater in each and every area of our lives, Lord? Would you take maybe a faith that seems mundane and stale, and Lord, as we see you and as we ask you, Lord, would you become greater in this moment, Lord? Might we experience your power? Might we experience your grace? Might we experience your healing? And so, Lord, we just, we say to you this morning, Jesus, would you become greater in this church? Jesus, would you become greater in our city? Jesus, when we look at our world and we see the impact that Brookside Church can have and other churches in our city, we say, Jesus, would you become greater? Because we know that we would become in such a better place if you did. And so, Lord, we proclaim you are good and you are worthy. Lord, would you become greater? And, Lord, for those who are here today and they've just said to you for the very first time, Jesus, would you become greater in my life? Lord, would you remind them today that they are a child of God. They are loved by you. They are known by you. And they are about to begin a journey that will change their lives, a journey where you would say, I have abundance of life for you when you walk with me. And so might this even be a church where they find you and they follow you so deeply, Lord. We love you, Father. We love you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.